Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Jennifer Phillips Russo, and we are the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program, the two-state program uh, brought to you by Penn State University and Cornell University. And we're here just again this week giving you another weekly update in the midst of harvest. So uh, we are, at least in terms of Concord, we are about a full month into harvest, at least, uh, you know, everybody starts at a different time, but we're a good full month in uh, and two to three weeks in, depending on who your processor is, but but certainly everybody's going pretty much full rate right now. And it was a it's been an interesting year, so we're going to talk a little bit about how it's gone so far and what's up next from what we're seeing across the region. Yeah, hi everybody, Kevin. I'm looking at this Zoom thing of us, and we've had really great weather up until just recently. And this morning, I got caught in the deluge. Before 9 a.m. this morning, a lot of our reports coming in from growers is that we've had 100, 1.5 to 1.75 inches in their rain gauges by 9 a.m. Wow. Yeah. So I went out and looked on NUA. It's also in our crop update. If you are a member and you receive those updates via email and selected six stations around our region. And sure enough, by nine o'clock, some of them were 1.3. So definitely a lot of rain in the first couple hours. Hence the way I look when I saw myself on the Zoom screen. <laughs> I'll be honest, I didn't check because I was out, you know, a couple of times this morning and it didn't look too wet in the Fredonia area. Um, but obviously, either the ground was dry enough to soak it up or it's one of those, you know, variable rainstorms again. I'm not sure which, but. Well, Harbor Creek this morning before 9 a.m., well, at the 9 a.m. when I pulled all the data, Harbor Creek had 1.81 inches already. Northeast had 1.44. Portland at Clarel was 1.19. So, except now the sun is shining so much that I had to just get out of the, get a little shade so that we could do this. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so th that's sort of what I was gonna talk about today is it seems like that is sort of the trend of what's been going on with harvest when you when you move closer to that Pennsylvania area. Uh, there are a lot, there's a lot more tonnage there. And I think a lot more, uh, not just heavier crops, but a heavier crop load. So we're seeing some lower bricks. And I don't see that yet coming up, sort of posting with the processors. Like if you look at their average bricks based on location, you don't see it yet. So I think for the most part, except for maybe in the first week, growers have found bricks here and there by searching their blocks. Um, but you do see a little bit of a trend downwards and that's usually the last place it shows up, right? Because because the numbers are sort of rigged in that sampling. If it's below 15, nobody's bringing it in. So that doesn't count towards this average. <laughs> so so we do know, and I have heard sort of anecdotally that um, we do know that, that getting to 15 bricks, if that's the minimum standard for some growers is gonna be a real struggle and will take you know, between the fact that they had to wait to get there and the fact that they're harvesting more tonnage, we've got a couple more weeks left to harvest at least. Especially in the west of the belt. So in personal right. conversations, talking with processors, the further east you go in the belt, the higher the sugars were. And just looking at what happened last year, we could kind of anticipate that happening this year, right? We had really heavy loads really heavy yields last year in the eastern side of the belt and the western side got frost and fr and freeze events so they were a little bit lighter even though lighter came in at six to seven tons an acre right 
this year they're just much heavier than we are. I have heard some also reports that in some of the areas, a lot of vines just haven't recovered the way that they wanted to with that heavy tonnage and all of the rain we had last year. So that combination of wet feet on the grapevines and then the heavy tonnage, some just are not recovering or bouncing back the way we want them to. Well, and I don't mean to speak for you, but I think if you go back to like Bob Poole, you know, he would say a revise index of something like 12 would be what you'd be looking for. Maybe he would even say lower. And Terry, you know, has always been like, let's go for broke, maybe 14 or 15. And and now I think last year he said maybe even 16 or 17. And, you know, growers were more like in some of the eastern parts of the belt, it was more like 50 or 60. It was crazy. <laughs> right. I didn't believe the numbers either. <laughs> so, so I think when you saw those really high areas, of crop load is where we're really seeing some sort of devastating results. And I wouldn't even say vine size, right? Because it, it's severe enough that they're probably going to be doing trunk renewals. In, exactly. So, so like vine health, not so much vine size, like vine size went to zero. <laughs> I've even had reports from processors saying that some of the vines of their growers aren't even coming back. They're not even pushing up shoot you know from the ground oh my gosh i just blanked on that <laughs> I okay. was like, cow. so there was that yes sugars are fantastic this year fantastic this year in most parts of course the ones that are a little smaller yield than some of the in the west but then there's also a lot of great berry moth damage i'm hearing great berry moth damage and another processor told me that this is the worst year for deer for deer damage i was like i hadn't heard that one yet but I've heard that too. And I've actually, I've seen that. I don't know what, how that would be variable and I've never known it to be variable, but um, deer, raccoon, you can really identify because you sometimes with deer, it's like, oh, come on, that's berry moth. If you don't really get out and scout, it's just like, oh, those last five rows didn't have any grapes on it. That was probably berry moth or something. Um, But with raccoons, they don't eat the skin. So you can see, you can, you know, who stole the grapes. (laughs) (laughs) You could drive by and tell, but yeah, that's a very strange one. I don't think it's a significant part of what's going on in the industry by any stretch. It's just more interesting than anything else. Right. Um, Maybe if you're a small grower with like 10 acres, you know, I I know I've seen some 10 acre blocks that have, you know, forest on four sides. So if you cannot keep a crop on the the outer outside 12 rows, then you may just have no crop. square in the middle (laughs) right the little tiny square in the middle is all you've got but but other than that i mean it's just it's more of an interesting headache i think i i would i don't know how you would manage that i guess but if you come up with something please share yeah deer deer fence all the way around those hundred acres (laughs) right um but yeah you know when you get towards the east like you said bricks have been high yields have been really low um in the area of like two to six for most growers is what I've seen. Seven is seven is around, eight is around, but it's certainly not most growers averages. Uh, And they're just about wrapping up done with Concord harvest. It should be this week for a lot of those growers, which I think is gonna, you know, you you get over to the the West and there's gonna be a hustle just in terms of trying to keep those plants at capacity. So harvesting faster, which if yields are high enough, that helps. It's just a it's just a trucking problem at that point for some of these growers because we do have a lot of grape harvesters out there. 
Right. So I also have had some calls from some growers inquiring about dehydration, asking, is it possible that we have, and yes, I do think it is possible that some vineyards around here, especially maybe on gravel soil and who may have had their vines balanced and had those high sugars in the beginning of September are definitely experiencing a little bit of dehydration. We didn't have the rain. This was sort of confirmed by one of our processors saying that it is quite possible because they had a slight bump in soluble sugars in the last couple of weeks, but rain definitely had enough of it. We already spoke, spoke about that this morning. The rain is back. But Dr. Terry Bates has had some research and you can also find this on the LERGP website under cultural practices. It's in our crop, my crop update this week. He has a graph of the fresh berry curve and noting that 110 days after bloom is when you are at 100% of the fresh berry weight. And then it even starts to decline shortly after that because they do eventually dehydrate if they're not harvested. So currently at Claro, if you're going just off of our phenology dates that we track historically, we are at 127 days after bloom. So that's 17 days after the full 100% full berry weight. So yes, there is a possibility that there are vineyards out there that are in dehydration right now. But if your vines are healthy and you got your schedules, I think that you should be okay. I know I've heard that we are, people are losing tonnage. It's a natural progression of the vine. <laughs> the other thing to keep in mind, and I'm not saying that people aren't experiencing dehydration because, because for some Concord vines, this is, this is the end of the season, right? They've gone all the way through maturity. They... I mean, they reached 18 bricks and they kept on going. And um, but there, there, there were two other things that happened this year that I would just watch out for. So if at 30 days, you know, if you took berry weights at 30 days and you looked and you see and you can measure dehydration, then you of course know it's dehydration. Um, but we did have a number of new estations that reached. Uh, 1,620 growing degree days before August 5th. So they have constant berry mouth pressure, which could start to look like dehydration if the only way you are scouting is by looking in a bin. Um, you know, you start to see secondary rots come in and decomposing berries, they're gonna be drier. Right. But the other thing is I have heard reports that pretty early in the season, and maybe there's more of it now, there was some splitting sort of related to just really small berries at 30 days. And then all of a sudden we got inundated with rainfall. So those berries swelled up and they split sort of before you would expect them to. So those are all things that could theoretically be happening. Um, Absolutely. The, the more you can do that first week in terms of harvesting, the better a lot of times because they don't always hold on till November 5th. <laughs> and this is my pitch for our viticulture planning calendar. If you are a member to record when your bloom is, be out there and start looking. Don't go off of what we always say. You should actually be looking in your own vineyards and noting that. And I know it's sometimes you're spread out all over the place, but that's really important when you're going to make your crop estimation. You know, some of them have probably done it a couple of days early or maybe a couple of days late. And did you actually adjust accordingly on the table that's provided in our crop estimation resource. Just all these things to remember when it comes to those times and use that calendar to mark down your information from year to year. Oh, yeah. wait, Kevin, don't say anything. Yeah. No, it's a pitch. Right. Here's a pitch for our calendar this year. We are looking 
for sort of vintage photos to add from our grower population of remember when or look at the first harvester that we use and this is where we came. So we're looking for your input to spice up the calendar photos this year. So please submit them via email to Kate Robinson at the office or Kevin or myself and we'll make sure they get to her. Yeah, absolutely. That would be that would be great if you guys could come up with some of that stuff. I know. The other thing I want to remind you and I'm not picking on you guys because I'm right there with you at this point. Maybe 10 years ago, it would have looked like me picking on you, but 1970 was uh, 50 years ago, 52 years ago. So everything involving grape harvesters is now history, right? Like it's starting to be written history at this point. I know, a I know some of you out there were born and harvested grapes before a grape harvester really existed, but those early grape harvesters or or whatever happened back then uh, is is definitely fair game for what we're looking for. We do not need to go back to 1920. It's getting really hard to find that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have it, please share it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I do have a little bit of bad news. I don't know if you wanna move on from our harvest update. All right, is there anything else you wanted to add to that? No, I th I think that's that's all we have. You know, a couple more weeks. Good luck to the people who you know are going to take another full two plus weeks to finish up. Um, happy trails for those that get to finish early. Unfortunately, sort of, but yeah, that's about it. So, I just wanted to state that unfortunately we have another spotted lantern fly, sort of bookending our region. There's been one that has been reported in Wattsburg, PA. So that's in Erie County, Pennsylvania. So we have one out to the West. We have another one in Erie County, New York in Buffalo. So that's going to make it increasingly important to actually keep your eyes open. You'll be able to see the adults. They're still out there right now laying eggs. Eggs are harder to find because they look like splotched mud and there's a lot of rain out there right now but please be out there and start scouting for it. So if we can, sorry, backing it up a little bit. If you find one when you're scouting, you need to report it. I think people, I've heard from people that they think, well, it's already in PA, so you don't need to report it. You still need to report it to PDA or on inaturalist.org, places where we can have it recorded because it's really not in our side in of Pennsylvania. So we want to track that and be aware when it gets closer and closer. And in New York state, we just put together a public service announcement that's being sent out via social media. I have it in the crop update. It is a YouTube video. Also, if you want to, that's the link that's in the crop update that we want to get out to local community members as well. And that's in identifying and learning a little bit about the bug and then reporting to report slf.com. It is extremely important that we track the movement of this hitchhiker so that we can be well aware when it gets closer and closer to our vineyards. So please click that link, watch the video, send it on all of your social media, have your children send it out on their social media so that we can be on top of that. That's all I have on that, Kevin. I know that I don't want to end doom and gloom. So if you have something... <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. That'd be great. <laughs> no, not really, unfortunately. Um, I I did notice uh, that. So right now, we're if you pay attention to economic news, it's been all over the place. And what we're seeing sort of on a macroeconomic level is really mixed results 
in terms of just the real professionals don't know where we're headed. Is it like, is this good or is this bad? I'm sorry. And, and, and so all I would say is just in terms of how it applies to grapes is we are seeing, continuing to see an increase in profits for beverage companies from beverage companies raising their prices. So, so that's good news. I think that uh, we should hopefully be able to continue to maintain higher prices. Um, and the other thing that's fairly clear is that the labor market is softening, but not really in a meaningful way. So how I would translate that to grape growers is the real pinch points in this economy are sort of the labor that you take advantage of. Trucking, um, migrant workers, hard jobs. Uh, so I continue to, I would continue to expect to see increases in the price of labor, even though we've already seen a lot of them. And even though we are starting to see some softening. So there was a bit of spread um, of, of labor demand, just in terms of for a moment there, it went from these sort of core pinch points in the economy where it was hard to find certain people in certain industries to pretty much everybody. There wasn't anybody available anywhere to do anything. And and I, there are some signs that we're transitioning away from that level of labor demand, but it doesn't appear yet to be clear that sort of those pinch points, that that, that pressure has really been alleviated in a meaningful way. So for grape growers, I would continue to expect higher labor prices. But if as long as we can maintain commodity prices, um, then, you know, that should balance itself out if you manage your labor correctly. But what you'll see and what we've seen in other industries, if you don't and you lose that labor, uh, we all know it's more expensive to get labor than it is to keep it. And right now, that's what's really difficult. So so that's the tricky part. So this might be putting you on the spot, but how? what would you call balancing out? Are you implying to pay more? What, how do you, how do you anticipate keeping that labor? Um, no, I don't. I mean, I think money is a partial solution that needs to be there, but I think it's also very clear that what we are up against are, are trying to provide incentives and motivation for people who don't necessarily want to work in a traditional way to continue to work. And that may sound kind of like, yeah, whatever, like New York City, Wall Street office jobs, they need to do their like, you know, work from home, have a free gym membership. But no, I think we really need to capitalize on what one of our important resources was and is, is, is are things like second jobs or retirees. And, and we know and we have had some flexibility for them, but that flexibility may need to grow. And I think what growers really need to be prepared for is that growth. So they're familiar with it, right? They know, like, if you want to hire somebody with a second job, you've got to work around that first job. If you want to hire a retiree, they're not going to work 90 hours a week. They're a retiree. Um, so it may take more bodies to do the same kind of job. And so that might be where that flexibility comes in. Money can help, but yeah, you know, money for a retiree, that's sort of a mixed bag. Like you better hope groceries get really expensive, right? Because that might motivate them to work. But but in a traditional sense, they've tried to take care of their finances. So so money for them is not going to be a primary motivating factor. And we're seeing that sort of all over the economy is if, if you already have the money you need to, to have food, clothing and shelter, sometimes if the 
if the whatever the sacrifice you have to make to go beyond to the next level, you know, money may not always be that solution. So maybe more bodies, um, working conditions can help. And that's that's something that growers can work on and have worked on. They've done it more in other parts of agriculture than they have in grapes, I would say. Uh, but that that is an element of what can be done that can be expensive. So I think you sort of have to weigh how much of that you can do versus mm -hmm. keeping or finding new labor. But, you know, on a case by case basis, there's certainly stuff that can be done. All right. Thanks. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I have. That's sort of rosy news. I would say that's about as rosy as I get is, you know, we're going to have challenges with with some costs on the cost side of things as this economy sort of does a different thing than it's done in the last 40 years. But as long as we're on the high end of what's driving these price increases, I mean, this really this inflation has really come from commodities and food has been included in it. It's not like 1970, 1980, where it was energy based. Um, not to say that energy isn't part of the equation, but but food was a big part of how this got started. So as long as we are sort of leading the charge in, in terms of the cause of what's driving inflation, we're going to be, I think, in okay shape. Well, that was rosy, Kevin. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yep. <laughs> That's all I have today. I mean, there's one, a couple more articles in my crop update. But I mean, feel free to read them. One's on, I always try to put something in there on the efficient vineyard and ways you can use that technology in your operations. So, and then there's another one in there about the um, New York Wine and Grape Foundation is putting out about their um, sustain sustainable wine growing program. So there's an article simply copied and pasted from the New York Wine and Grape publication that's in our crop update as well. If you are interested in being part of that program, that information's there for you. So. All right. With that, I just want to thank you all for being here. As long as Jen doesn't have anything else, I don't. I certainly don't. But I do look forward to uh, seeing you all next week. And again, please feel free to contact us. We're going to experiment with some ways to make that a little bit easier. Uh, ask us some questions. Tell us what you want to hear about. And um, we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everyone.